Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Um, so tonight, uh, unfortunately, Hobbs cannot join us, but I'll do my intro real quick. And I have a guest who is gonna was was lovely enough to join me for this episode. And I cannot wait. So I'm Alex Newman, found on Twitter at mill underscore chronicler, and my pronouns are he him. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Reinhardt Suarez, and uh, I am a writer and editor. Um, I helped write a couple of the Legends stories, uh, the student stories for Strixhaven. So uh, really excited to be here and uh, talk some story. Yeah, so glad to have you. And you've been on a couple episodes with us in the past, and it's always fun. And you know, you you and I know each other from some of the the local conventions mm-hmm. and way back stuff. So it's it's always fun to have you on the show. And so today. Um, I wanted to talk about the story structure of magic. So I'm so glad you could join Reinhard. This will be a great episode to, to have you on. And um, so this is this is a little inside baseball, behind the scenes sort of thing. Sometimes um, we, ha- we hit a little snag in our schedule. And so trying to look for an episode. Originally, I was looking for something I thought I could just do a quick recording on my own. And I realized um, there's a topic that I kind of come back to in my head a lot, something we've talked about on the podcast, but it was in episode 43 that was like two and a half years ago. So it's like, it seems like a good time to come and revisit this. So I want to I talk about the story structure and kind of how the story, how magic stories have been told and how that has changed over time, over the last you know few decades of, of the game being out and kind of how that has helped to serve the game as, as how, some of it as the game has changed, how they've told the stories have changed. And I think they've just, just my theory is as they've gone, they've realized that they need to tell stories in a different way to kind of match the tenor of how the game comes out. Uh, so real quick history, just so, so y'all are aware with episode 43, that was right. It was during the preview season for war of the spark. And so at that point in time, the books weren't out, so we didn't know all the details, but we did know we had all the cards. So we knew kind of the, the major story beats that were in the cards. So we knew, you know, how Nicole, you know, how Bolas's story was going to end, that he was defeated, but not killed. He was imprisoned on the prison, you know, in the prison realm. Um, we knew a few character deaths. And so we talked about some of that stuff. But then that episode was about closure of, you know, closing off story space and how in recent years in particular, I kind of noted at the time, well, it's been a couple of years since then, so it's not quite as recent now, but I noted that Wizards kind of, rather than closing off stories, killing Bolas, killing all of the Eldrazi, they they left Nicole Bolas alive. They left Emrakul alive. So they ended the storyline, but they left those characters alive to give the potential for future stories. Um, but while I was while I was working on the notes for this, I kind of realized that the history of magic could kind of be broken into a few movements of of kind of how the storytelling has evolved. And I figured this was a good thing to revisit. It's always fun. Like at least I find this really interesting. And if this is something you're, you're really interested in the narrative, um, it could be an, a good tool to keep in mind. And since it's been a while. That was a good time to revisit it and maybe talk about the last couple of years and some things I missed because fortunately Reinhardt's here and we've already got something that I uh, that I missed right at the beginning. So <laughs> I think it's I think it's actually pretty easy to miss that very very beginning of uh, of Magic Story. Yeah. So we want to. Uh, do you want to talk about Reinhardt a little bit of the pre revisionist and maybe kind of what that is and what some of those stories sure, were. Sure, sure. So pre-revisionist um, stories refer to um, basically the novels that were um, published by Harper Prism. Um, so novels in the be- very beginning of magic storytelling were not published in-house. They were published in, in, in conjunction with an outside uh, publisher. And so that means that, you know, a lot of the stories that were coming out maybe didn't have as much to do with the actual cards that were appearing in the sets. Um, you know, a lot of uh, just this past year, we had uh, a couple of uh, characters kind of 
uh, brought up from those pre-revisionist pre stories, um, Garth One-Eye, um, Asmore, I can't even say the, the, the her name, um, but she's also from a pre-revisionist source. And uh, the, what characterizes this era of magic storytelling is that it was very um, uh, disjointed. You know, you had a lot of authors just kind of throwing spaghetti onto the wall and hoping something stuck. Um, you did have some uh, appearance here and there of um, of things that, that did appear on the cards, certain creatures, certain mm -hmm. spells. Um, my favorite little anecdote is um, the, the novel Song of Time. Song of Time begins with uh, a rendition of the Urza versus Mishra like uh, conflict, and it is completely and utterly wrong. It is it, in <laughs> no way, shape, or form does it resemble what later would come in, you know, uh, the revisionist era, starting with the Brothers War by Jeff Grubb. Um, I have not. I didn't. You know, I was around, I was actually playing Magic during this time as a kid, but I wasn't picking up the books. Um, so I've really enjoyed some of these, revisiting these, you know, in, in recent years, or not even years, in, in the recent months, uh, you know, going back and reading some of these books. Um, they are very hit or miss. Yeah. But it is what, it, I enjoy it because it shows the organic start of magic story yeah and and it fits with um how the game kind of came out originally with story um i did mention in the last episode that that like antiquities um which was the second expansion it was early on sort of got retroactively added into the weatherlight saga that we'll get into in a little mm -hmm. bit um but i think what happened was a lot of like when alpha came out there wasn't story they didn't they hadn't written stories for it but they were uh, trying, Richard Garfield was trying to evoke this fantasy world. And so there were a few very specific just fantasy tropes. You had the White Knight, the Black Knight, things like that. But he also had like Mons Goblin Raiders. Who's Mons? Well, he doesn't tell us because mm -hmm. that's just part of the world. And it's something that characters in the world would know, which is, is kind of funny to me as someone who's done, you know, a little bit of writing and has gone through, you know, some people consumed a lot of content about how you know writing and narratives and things and stories right because one of the the tips that you get in in story to help build world building is um i believe it's pick one inconsequential detail you don't you know, um you know you, you put out some big things you don't explain them you take something small and inconsequential and you just go super deep and explain the hell out of it and that can create this sense you know in the reader's mind that this world is big and it's vast and it's wide and, and i wanted to go back to actually a term that you used before which was narrative closing yes so what this is what the process that you're explaining is actually you know what i i kind of consider narrative opening or narrative widening, where you're setting all these kind of waypoints, these narrative waypoints, these possibilities. So, rock of carriage. What's carriage? I don't know what that is. Sedstroll. What? What's a sedstroll? You know, like all these, all these different, um, you know, specific terms. Mons. Um, you have the the flavor text. Uh -huh. You know, which which implies something deeper but we're never given it in the cards and at the time i think the only story the very very first story uh, associated with magic was a little short story written by richard garfield in the instruction manual oh that's right um, and it was basically just to show uh or relate what a magic duel is between these mm -hmm. two planeswalkers um, which the players were supposed to be the planeswalkers. Yeah. And and that to give you that flavor enough to kind of help you immerse yourself in this world that is just, you know, cards. There's cards with this art on here. And so, but that's that's a big part of it. They wanted that art. And I think that's where this fits a lot with how these pre-revisionist stories were told. Most of them were 
sort of one-off novels that didn't take place in the cards. Because to be honest, the cards didn't really set up specific places. A few, you had a few names, you had Benelish Heroes, so there was a, a mention of a place called Benalia, but it didn't set up anything about that place, and the books right. didn't dive into that. They took place in their own places. Um, I remember a couple of the books. I didn't read a lot back then, but I did get there a couple that were just short story collections. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I was telling you bef- before the, uh, we started recording, and one of them that I remember very vividly was about Ragman, which is just kind of a random <laughs> creature from yeah. the dark. But the writer must have been inspired by that or something and just decided that they were going to write a story about the daughter of the Ragman and set that up as a character because – this isn't even a legendary card. The Dark didn't have any legendaries because I think it was made by a different team than the team that made Legends. And so that sort of, I don't think that technology kind of made it to them or maybe they just decided not to use it. So it was a set without any legendary creatures, which was kind of an attempt as the game aged a little bit to create more story, I think. You, you have Legends, it creates specific people. It starts to allow you to tell more story within the cards mm-hmm. but i feel like that was that's that's one i remember and, from that era and and this is also something that we talked a little bit previously um i, I want to set a little bit of the context of where magic appeared in you know just in the culture it was basically the first huge huge card game to hit but by no means was it the only one around at that time you know as a kid, um, I tried to play, my friends and I tried to play many of these card games. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we're kids with no money. So we had to pick one. And unfortunately, I picked the wrong one. Uh, I did not pick Magic. And uh, uh, a lot of the reason was because, um, you know, th- that narrative opening is really cool. But some of these other games had more established story. You know, mm-hmm. the one I picked was um, TSR's Spellfire because it had D&D, you know, ironically, right? It yeah. had D&D characters. And I'm like, oh, I, I know I, I know Tiamat. I know I know Raistlin. I know, mm-hmm. you know, all these characters. I want to play with those characters because I love them. Um, and now, however many years later, 20, almost 30 years later with Magic, I think it's to that point where, you know, people love picking up the cards because like i i love this character oh yeah you know the new a new nissa great awesome yeah i mean and, and some of it's the storytelling like just some of the storytelling in the cards is really good i mean it, it's it's still a limited f- medium but they've had 28 years mm-hmm. or something i can't remember exactly how long but they've had more than a couple of decades to re- work out good ways to do that and so there is still some cool storytelling like i remember um, the Bolus core set. I can't remember which core set that was. It's twenty twenty. Is it twenty twenty or twenty nineteen? Um, it was it was one right around the Amonkhet, and so it was showing. I think it was maybe right after because we knew kind of that he had done this thing on Amonkhet, mm. and they had the Bolus cycle of rares. So it was a oh yeah, uh, yeah red, yeah. a blue, and a black that all featured him. Like it was like I I can't remember the, what the other two. Or patient rebuilding was blue. I remember fraying omnipotence because mm-hmm. it's still my favorite magic name in the entire game. There's so much flavor packed into those two words. Um, and then there was there was a red one because I'm pretty sure that was the black. But so it was like this three cycle in his three colors showing the story of what he was doing on Amoncat. And like that is so cool to me. And the storytelling on the actual cards. I mean, I think like they were really onto something in this pre-revisionist time. They, you know, it was the mm-hmm. art was really evocative, the flavor text was really evocative, and it was just, it just it was the perfect way to begin. Yes, a, a story. Well, and and particularly with what they how they were trying to build this game because initially this game was pitched as something small and easy that players could play in between sessions of Dungeons and Dragons or similar role-playing games and i'll tell you what that's how it started but then we kept on playing magic and we stopped uh-huh. playing D. <laughs> yeah and it, it, it became much more of a game on its own that has its you know you would go to events for magic as opposed to i'm going to meet up with my friends and we're going to play a little bit of this game before everyone shows up but i think to begin with that's where you look at alpha and so much of it was the fantasy trappings that are familiar 
two people who play D&D. You've got Castle is literally a card. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, Holy Armor and you know, things that are very evocative of the fantasy that we're used to in a Dungeons and Dragons. And so it, it really hit those. I mean, that's how I got into the game. Um, a friend of my dad's who he my dad used to play D&D with just showed up to our house one day with revised starter decks and said, this is Dungeons and Dragons in cards we should play. And then the next thing I knew, there were four of us sitting on our sitting at my dining room table playing magic because, Mm -hmm. of course, I immediately went into group games. And that kind of sort of defines how I engage with the game. That's a that's a whole other thing. But so like that really fits with how that storytelling and that, like I said, I kind of missed that last time because this this there's narrative. There's definitely narrative and story. There's books and things being told, but there's nothing sort of cohesive here. They're, they're not trying right. to tell the, the cards and the books are not telling the same story. I, I will also, I do want to also want to say that there was a lot of experimentation going on. This is when, you know, there were books, there were cards, there were also comics, and actually there were also video games eventually um, that really, that you know, um, what the Chandelar game and Chandelar the Battle game. Mage game. Um, the Dragons then. So there, there, there was, and I think really there still is a lot of experimentation going on. Yeah, yeah. But then, so that went for, for a little while. But then fairly early, within the first few years, I think they realized that they wanted to have a continuous story. Well, not a continuous story, but a, a story that was actually connected to the cards. Mm-hmm. And that's when they started like the Weatherlight Saga, um, the first set that I think really connects to it is Weatherlight itself. But you know, there's a lot of sort of Phyrexian things that show up. Antiquities was all about the Brothers' War, and they connected that to this storyline. So there's definitely some retroactive um, connections, or in yeah, a way, I it's think more Weatherlight like, is where where it really comes together. You had a few yeah. things. Um, you know, you had antiquities, right? You had, yeah. I always get the sequence mixed up of Mirage and Visions. You had like within, kind of like within block stories that kind of took place on the same world, but they weren't really connected. They weren't meant to be. Yeah. And, and, you know, you had some storyline within like the Ice Age and stuff. But mm-hmm. at that point, I think all the books that were actually written for Ice Age were all written later. Yes, much um, later. So then, like, during that time, there was definitely some story happening, but it wasn't really connected to other things. Though, in this sort of... I, don't, I, I can't remember. I don't, I don't know, at least, exactly when the revisionists started, but when they sort of codified this all together and they said, all right, this is our storyline. It connects to the Brothers of War and Antiquities. That sort of thing, like, put, brought the Ice Age in. As saying, well, I the think end basically of the war connects to this. Sorry, go ahead. I think it was the Urza block that really they, they you know, so so Weatherlight before, so uh, the stuff having to do with Sisse, right, kind of yeah, led into the Urza block. I forget yeah, it was Weatherlight. Well, it was right Weatherlight, then. and then it was the Tempest block. Yeah, which okay. was Tempest in particular. I think Weatherlight too. Um, you can actually storyboard like the story of this, those sets with the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Mark yeah. Rosewater talks a lot about that. Um, Weather light, I believe you can, and I know you can in Tempest. You just you take all of the cards, you can re- you can arrange them in order and tell the story of that set. Um, and that so that was that block because then that was Tempest and, and, and Exodus and what was after Exodus? Was that Earth's block after that? Then I think so. Yeah, we are professional podcasters. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's, you know, they start to pull that together. And then you have, you know, multiple blocks after that that are dealing with um, the Weatherlight crew going to different worlds. You have the mm-hmm. Masks block where they're going. That I mean, that block is set on three different planes as people are going back and forth. So that also is, now that I think about it, it's weird because you had like Prophecy that kind of had its own one-off story where there's this whole thing going on. In yeah, in, in Jamora. No, or more yeah, it just had nothing to do with anything else well if if you if you and and this is really interesting right if you read when you read the novel you're like oh okay it has it has these tangential things to do with like the larger you know 
framework of the story, but it seems like you're like you devoted a whole block to that. Uh, it seems like and and you know actually it's really cool. Uh, the the uh, it's really nitty gritty. Like it's very like uh, political. Um, it it's an important story. Uh, I think like the actual novel is is contentious with a lot of readers um because you know uh they want to get on with the show like the swashbuckling mm-hmm. and this one was yeah. it's just a very like much a little bit more cerebral a little bit more like uh tactical like okay. teferi is uh what is it teferi is basically defending his homeland from a Keldon invasion i think that's what that story is about. I think so. It's uh, it has been a long time, and yeah. the last time I read it was in high school, around the time when the invasion block was coming out. Yeah. So I I suspect I I was one of the people that you say is kind of impatient, and maybe I skimmed over parts. Oh, I mean, you know, nuances to the story that I would have caught. Well, I like you know when we were all we were all you know we were we were the, of that age. You know, we we want the high adventure and um. You know, uh, I I I can understand. I can understand definitely yeah. as a reader. Actually, now that I think about it, I went back and read that. So this is a weird tangent, but I'm going to do it anyway because you know that's what we do on the show. I read. I now I'm remembering as as we're talking about this. I, I read that block third because I read the Ice Age set first. Those books because I always loved the Ice Age set itself. That was one. Oh, of the me too. First big expansions after I started playing because I started in Revised and I was buying like the Dark and some Fallen Empires and then Ice Age came out. Like that set was so cool. Um, but then I read the Invasion block, and so both of those blocks end with someone becoming a Planeswalker. And so I remember joking with a friend of mine saying, "Prophecy the the book." better not end with someone becoming a planeswalker because this is starting to become a pattern. Mm-hmm. And and that's all I remember about the book of the prophecy was was that declaration before I started reading it. Well, uh <laughs> and and I remember it had uh I can't remember her name. It was the red like mega spellcaster on the on the cover. I I forget her name too. That book was uh, she's a Keldon spellcaster. Yeah, and that's and that's where I, I misremembered that i knew the story had something to do with the keldons i thought it took place in kel yeah i think part of it yeah. maybe does yeah you, you can see how long ago i i looked at the book yeah um, fair enough but What's again the- like i and i'll probably reiterate this every time is like there was this is, this is quite a feat like why this is what they did was so far beyond what any other card game was even trying to do oh yeah no and and to be able to pull these stories in and again especially some of them more resonant with me than others but like the invasion block was very like a pinnacle to me of storytelling for a long time i some of it was i read it in high school which was a perfect time for that but i was playing a lot of magic so i was playing with the cards i was reading the story i was using the same you know characters and creatures that were in the story you know it it it, there was just it was a incredible cross-media thing that they were doing right yeah and i i you have to hand it to them, you know, whether or not, whether or not anyone believes that they succeeded. Um, I think just even making the attempt is so amazing to me. Yeah. So then like, this is the era of the, the, the single connected storyline. So the weather light was the first big one and, and it connected to a lot of the historical stuff. They kind of revised the history a little bit and to try to bring things into a clear place that they could then work from. Um, following the Weatherlight story, we get another um, block like that. We get another story in the, the Odyssey and the Onslaught blocks. Um, there's different story happening in both, but there's a connection between the two blocks with um, Kamal and the, the Cabal, actually, that comes back later in Dominaria mm-hmm. and, and some storyline going on there. Um, let's see you, things- could, you could see that they really wanted to get away from they they wanted a break from those characters yes let them breathe a little bit you know yeah. focus on another part of the world i mean it, it's exactly what you do 
do in that situation. Yes, exactly. And that was the thing that after, you know, having this story that stretched back to the beginning, though it wasn't necessarily being told back then, but you had this story, you hit the end of it and, and they gave us an end the in the invasion block had a conclusive end to this storyline, but then it's like, now we need to tell another story and we don't want to just give a sequel and bring all these same people back and kind of undo the things that we were just doing. As you say, Reinhardt, then they went to a new place on, on Dominaria, mm. brought in a new cast of characters and, and told another multi-block story, not two blocks, but told this again, storyline spanning across these. Um, and I, I think they started to see that that isn't the best, necessarily the best way to tell stories for this. I think They've told good stories in this way, but this card game comes out, you know, four major sets a year. Mm-hmm. Even back then was three sets plus a core set every other year. And so they have these continuous releases and trying to tell the story that was coming out every, you know, three, four months. That's particular structure of we're going to tell this big saga didn't fit as well i think it's exhausting i think um just they were telling two trying to tell two big sagas back to back and i think that's there's a little bit of fatigue involved there i i believe um i i like a lot of kamal's story um Mm -hmm. i like i like how kind of crazy it can get sometimes um like you're reading it like what is happening um but i i i personally enjoy that uh but yeah like and we'll see um next after after uh odyssey onslaught saga um we start to get more truncated stories Mm -hmm. see and and i think something too with with the odyssey and, and this Maybe this was a part of the reason they changed it. Maybe not, but like I'd never actually read any of the Odyssey Onslaught stories, and I think a big part of it for me, like I was really into the story, but then that story ended, and now mm. I don't care anymore, mm. and I have to reinvest in the story. Yeah, and that I does bought, make sense. And some of it was I, I, you know, I I stopped playing. I took a break from the game for a bit. I did buy some Odyssey cards that came out while I was in high school, so I definitely had Odyssey cards that I played, and even some more in that block, but. Then I kind of took a break from the game. It may be in part because I wasn't as engaged with the story. I'm not sure. But I think having those large, epic, this is the story we're telling right now. Now the story is done. We're going to tell another story. You have like ramp ups and ramp downs where you're 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 not retaining people necessarily because you're giving them a perfect like ramp off to be done. And then they have to go through the work to kind of come back into the next story. And I think, especially when we get later down, it's a thing in our current incarnation of stories is I think they're really trying to alleviate some of that, that maybe you take a break, but you're not like taking a ramp out of the story. And I, you know, and I think this is a good time to kind of introduce a little bit of the idea of, of seeing how the larger story structure is implemented with how serialized fiction in general is implemented, especially uh, like comic books, comic mm-hmm. book arcs, big stories versus small ones. Um, I was a big, uh, huge, huge X-Men fan when I was a kid. And, um, you know, of course, like what was the big X-Men uh, saga? You know, the Dark Phoenix Saga. Dark Phoenix Saga lasted. Um, you could you could basically say it lasted thirty seven issues, which is roughly three or three years, mm-hmm. three years, twelve issues a year. Um, and that was huge. It was huge. Like it was so good. And then at the end, so you have to keep on going. What what they were doing right after the Dark Phoenix sagas, they did a lot of little one-shots. So one issue, one story, some of them are a lot lighter than this gripping like saga. And I think the reason why they were doing that was they were managing uh, 
the readers, like they, they were trying to ramp them down in a way that they would keep them interested, but they, you know, you can't, you can't keep that high forever. It's, it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think, I think you're right. I think that's exactly what, what magic was then trying to do um, after that. And, and I suspect part of this too may have been them realizing they needed to build their own universe a little more. Yeah. So the, the next four of the next five blocks are one shot blocks, one shot story, at least at the time taking place on five. Well, they're all one shot stories, but four of the five take place on different planes that, that magic had never been to. So we've got Mirrodin block, Kamigawa block, Ravnica block. Time spiral was, is the one odd out where they went back to Dominaria and kind of told a story that connected to the whole past of Dominaria and sort of, changed how sparks work and changed how the universe works a little bit so it also unified the weatherlight story and the odyssey story yep yep and and kind of plug those together so the the mending is not exactly it's not even not even exactly it's not like the pre-revisionist post-revisionist split because that is stories that kind of just aren't it's it's kind of like the the the, the Star Wars thing where the, mm-hmm. the pre revisionist stories aren't necessarily canon aren't canon unless something kind of goes back something new goes back and picks from them right. not, that's now canon again it's basically splinter the mind's eye that's you yeah. can think of it like that and time spiral created a the the pre mending post mending are kind of two different eras of the universe but it's all still canon it's just they're like we need an in-universe reason to change some of the way the things in the universe work. And so that is what the time spiral block did. And it's great. Like, again, uh, uh, you know, some other company that wanted to change, basically wanted to change the rules of the game um, to support, you know, a new type of card, Planeswalker card, right? Mm -hmm. They would just, they would just issue, okay, these are the new rules. But the fact that it was done in a story and it gave an in-canon reason for things to to be how they are, it was really cool. Yeah, and, and so like the major universe thing, and there's some other stuff I think we're starting to learn as the story comes forward and as they find reasons that they need to do this. But the main thing was Time Spiral changed how sparks work. And now Planeswalkers are able to move between planes like they always were, but it doesn't give them immense godlike power immediately. They just can move between planes. They're normal people with whatever their normal capabilities are that can move between planes. And stuff like this, you know, anytime you kind of change uh, the foundation of how your, you know, game universe works it gives you opportunities you know and so one of the great opportunities that came out of this is what happens to the any characters who had those godlike powers after this event yeah i mean that goes to you know there's a lot of story nicole bolas as we mentioned earlier that was part of his whole plot you had liliana had her own thing she went on right Uh, but this also gave both gameplay and narrative opportunities, as you say, like the gameplay was the new card type. They could bring in planeswalkers as a new card type because you can summon Chandra and she isn't godlike. She's just a normal person, just another mage who can throw some fire around and is willing to come help you. And so she comes, you know, helps throw some fire around, you know, and then leaves. It's And so they can create that new card type, but it also then creates the narrative opportunity to have these characters as the main characters of your story. Cause it is very difficult to tell a story about a character who is immensely powerful. At least all, a lot of stories with them as the focal point you could, and you could see this and how the stories were told go moving up to this. You had Urza in the background of the weather light doing his urza things. Uh, but you had Gerard and these other mortal characters in the foreground doing all of the action. Right. And even in the books where uh, Urza is more or less the main character, he's not really the main character. Planeswalker, he's not the main character. Zanja is. Time streams, it's arguable that Baron, Teferi, and Joira are just as prominent as Urza. You know, um, and uh, Bloodlines is has all sorts of different characters that you're following around. Um, 
and it's it's just because telling a story about um someone who's basically omnipotent and can do anything is really difficult to make it interesting yeah it's hard to have stakes that they can't yeah that are meaningful to them and the superman conundrum exactly and 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 to create problems that they can't just immediately solve you can tell some of those stories but it's hard to do that on a continuing basis right and and that's where i think they they wanted these characters that they could bring from plane to plane, especially at this point, because now we have, when oh, I, we missed Lorwyn Shadowmore was the fifth set in this chunk, by the way. So you have Mirrodin, Kamigawa, Ravnica, and Lorwyn as four new, entirely new worlds introduced. They haven't visited them. Uh, Mirrodin has some connections back because of Karn and all of that, but none of them have actually been part of the story up to this point. And these are some of the most beloved, you know, um, planes in yeah. all of magic i mean you look at ravnica we've been back there more than any plane other than dominaria and this game started on dominaria and just didn't leave for a I while mean, ravnica in many ways defines how people even think about the game yeah you you kind of have the the people for whom ravnica is the center of the multiverse who are newer players and dominaria is for the older players to some degree i mean it's not universally true but there is a little bit of a divide there because that's just how significant ravnica has become in the you know the later half of of the game this life cycle so far and and so i think that was part of why it was so important because they're like we're doing these different worlds we want to have very different places you can tell very different stories on lorwyn than you can on mirrodin and that gives them the opportunity to tell different stories but with planeswalkers as they were it's hard to have that connective tissue it's hard to have those through lines with characters that can jump from one place to another and be in both of these stories and i feel yeah like i said before like these kinds of one shot you know smaller stories you need to have that kind of break between the your large storylines i think yeah no i i think it's great and i i think that was a big thing they were trying to establish with the story here. It, it This did a number of things. It gave them new places. It developed the multiverse more. This is, again, one of those world-building things. By showing us four very different worlds now, it helps to sort of build, you know, expand the imagination of, well, what else is out there? What other worlds could exist that we could see? Yeah, um, and each it, one of these is so unique. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just looking at the list all of them are fully i think each one of these i'm not sure about lorwyn but i think each one of these has a trilogy of books associated with them yeah i think i'm pretty sure all four sets of lorwyn shadowmore had a book but i i'm not sure i know there are there was a lorwyn book i never read it they're weird uh, Joe tried to explain the story one time when I can't remember why it was relevant, but then we did an episode where we talked about Lorwyn and Shadowmore. It's strange. The, the story, <laughs> which is great to be honest. Yeah, it, it's, it's awesome. It's good that, that there's these different stories, these very different types of stories. That is a thing that I'm, I'm always happy to see very different, you know, both in and out of the thing, see very different, you know, people and writers and, and creators contributing, see very different stories being told, very different characters being yeah. represented. Because if you stick with the same, uh, honestly, like, again, I'll go back to Spellfire. You know, you just stick with the same, your D&D worlds, but D&D worlds are campaign worlds. They're not, they're not meant to be, uh, a, there's not meant to be a forward narrative that changes the world over and over again. So, it becomes repetitive. It's well, and in those D, a lot of those D and D campaign settings too are, are set up to let the players get exactly. in and tell their own stories. And early Magic, I think there was a piece of that where they wanted you to imagine every game you're playing as its own story, which is really cool. But it also doesn't isn't super practical. No, not not in cards. Not in know. cards. And and so by having story that they then write outside of it it can create this this better resonance and this greater cross-media experience um and and so moving on from these these one shots a little bit we actually get to something that's kind of one shots but i i think the the, the next three sets or the, the next three blocks after these these five are um alara 
their their return to Mirrodin and um, their uh, Zendikar. So in there, we have two new worlds again that we're seeing, but all three of these sets introduce new threats, new major threats um, on a level that we haven't seen since the Phyrexians in the invasion block. And, you know, it's obviously the new Phyrexians um, in our return to Mirrodin, which is, and then the, you know, Nicole Bolas, we're seeing him do stuff in Alara. Um, he came up in the time spiral block a little bit, said if, you know, did something a little helpful, said some things a little ominous and then just pieced. And now we're starting to see some of those ominous things that he's do had planned. Um, and then, you know, the Zend the, the Eldrazi on Zendikar. And the one thing that I think is important about these three blocks is they don't resolve any of these villains. They don't resolve any of these conflicts. They introduce them and then they move on. Yeah. And that's definitely like, that's the more comic book kind of style where you introduce and it, they're longer form narratives. And, and I think that is when we get into this era of continuous storytelling. You know, you kind of talked about it with comic books and, and the, the one shots kind of got to that too. But I think this is a, this is a time now kind of a Lara forward where we're seeing them tell You'll, they'll tell a story that goes for a few blocks, you know, for a few sets, or they'll tell a set for a little while, and then they'll take those one-shot breaks. Or they'll take, as the case we get into a little bit with the War of the Spark, we've, we've had kind of a two-year break. We haven't had a major story that's continuous between multiple things since the War of the Spark. What we've seen, I think, is kind of a, maybe a little bit of a renewal similar to these three blocks, where Wizard is taking a break from constructing a major thing and saying, let's check in here and see what's going on with these people. Let's check in here and see what's going on with these people. And we start to see the, the multiverse develop and we're starting to see movements in different places. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, relatively soon, maybe in the next year, couple years, we might start seeing another story similar to, you know, start seeing the Gatewatch be active again, start seeing something else like that start to have a larger narrative with smaller things peppered in and kind of go through some of those storylines. Yeah. I mean, if you go back and look at Mirrod and Kamigawa, Ravnica, Time Spiral, Lorwyn, that did set kind of a new foundation from which to spring, you know, because really with Invasion, with Odyssey, I mean, you could have stayed on Dominaria. I think that would have been okay. But I think, this was the right call of let's open it up. Let's open up the multiverse because then, you know, Dominaria, because it's one world and it really does stem from that traditional fantasy beginning, even though, you know, <laughs> there's this era of robots. Um, <laughs> uh, something like Meriden is super different. Kamigawa is super different. Ravnica is really, really different. Yeah. Um, and that allows more space for different mechanics, different kinds of characters, different, just all sorts of different cards that can arise out of the story, which is really cool. Yeah. And that's, I think, has become one of Magic's greatest strengths is, is some of this diversity of settings and diversity of story. I mean, you can see it in the sort of weird thing where it started as a game to be played in between rpg sessions then they started to create dungeons and dragons supplements for the worlds in you know magic so you could play a DD campaign in ravnica in theros then they brought they actually just brought DD into magic and made DD magic sets and so this is this sort of weird you know cool relationship yeah. between all the stuff that as kids we were like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? It's actually happened. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I, I think this is interesting. And it, it's so cool that um, that they're, they're, they're telling the story. And I, I think, well, we'll see. Like I said, we, we've, we had this long story with Bolas um, where he was kind of acting in the, in, behind the scenes, but then we see things like, I guess, you know, Innistrad 
is its own, you know, we've been, the first time we went there was just a one shot sort of story in this, this plane, let's go here and look at this place. Um, and you run into some characters and some story going on there. Nothing there specifically tied outside, but then all of a sudden we met Soren, who then comes back later to be part of this whole thing with the Eldrazi. And from a story structure standpoint, that's really what you want to do. You want to be layering these stories so that, um, you know, when, let's say, you know, your bolus arc, your big arc uh, is done, you can go back to this arc you have already kind of half developed and people are interested right away. And you can keep on layering and, and kind of doing that sort of thing, building your universe, your multiverse as it goes along. So, I mean, that's, you know, Spider-Man has been been roughly doing the same thing for however many years. But, you know, they're able to introduce new new uh, villains. You know, there was a time when Venom didn't exist, right? And then Venom was actually his the costume that he got on Battle World, and you know these, these like developments that they can take certain details from something and then morph that into a more major plot point. Um, and I, I like it's 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 really great to see, and you know um, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And and I don't want to get into. I'm not going to get into like trying to look too far in the future. I do want to, to set up talking about, you know, some of the things that they've done in the immediate past that are possibly setting them up for the future, but I don't want to get into, into speculation too much because I know, well, I just don't want to get into speculation too much. There's, there's a lot there and this episode's actually going a lot longer than I was expecting. <laughs> um, but so like after War of the Spark, we have Throne of Eldraine brought us to a new world. We have Theros Beyond Death brought us back to Theros for a little bit. Ikoria is a new world. Zendikar Rising, we went back and kind of saw that place again. Kaldheim and Strixhaven are two new worlds. So we've got four new planes since then. Every one of these is covering planeswalkers who weren't part of the, the, the Gatewatch. We've seen a few of them. I know we've we've seen Liliana on Strixhaven and, and some of them have poked around, you know. But all of these are giving us a chance to see new planeswalkers or planeswalkers who... We'd seen a little bit of like, you know, we, we get to see Garrick come back. Um, we get to see, um, wow, I, why am I blanking on her name in Ikoria, like the main green planeswalker from Ikoria. Oh, Vivian. Vivian, thank you. So like she had popped up a little bit in a core set, but now we get to see her doing some stuff. And so it's, I think we're in this period and I hadn't, put this together literally until we started talking now, but I think we're in this period of renewal again between large stories where they're starting to set up. Set up that new foundation again. Yeah, exactly. And, and give us some new characters, give us some of the old characters a break and give us an opportunity, give them an opportunity to tell stories in different places. And, and again, sort of expand the universe for us. Well, you know, still getting back to Zendikar, still getting back to Theros to check back in on some of these places that we've seen before. Right. And, and you know, at, as we're recording this, um, Innistrad Midnight Hunt, it, like the preview season just got finished and it's coming out like in what, a couple weeks. Um, and, you know, like so and we're starting to get the online stories um, and um, yeah, we're, we're seeing a mix of new and old, which is really, really like I, you know, as as someone who has really become a big fan of the story, um, I that's that's what I love to see. Yeah. You know? And and this is, you know, now this is the third time we're going back to Innistrad, which is cool. I mean, and then you look at um, like the last visit to Innistrad tied into the Eldrazi, which, I, you know, for some it, it changed the tenor of the set. And so for some folk, it didn't hit as well as the original block, but it also is you know, part of this big multiverse thing where stuff from one place can interact with stuff from another place. And it, you get to see some of them, some of that spillover, some of that crossover. Yeah. Happening. That's the exciting part, I think. Yeah. All right. So I think um, that's probably all I got. Um, 
Though I do realize that I got kind of right into it and missed a couple of very important things. So I need to shout out the Grinding Coffee Company. Um, I'll probably ask Cobbs to throw something at the beginning of the episode so you might hear that twice. But they have been a, a fantastic sponsor for us, uh, a, a Black-run, LGBTQ-run um, coffee company. They they supported us for a while. They support gamers. Like, when we took our break, like they were the first people to, to respond and, and wish us well while we took August off. And, and so we just love to have them as a sponsor. And I try to remember... I am not a coffee person, I will admit, and so I tend to forget. <laughs> so I apologize for that, but um, they're great. Also, um, we're just kind of talking about it this month, so it's, it's a new thing for us. But we have, have joined the Fireside Alliance, which is a, a group uh, of podcasters and other other people trying to just make a good place on the internet together. Um, I really appreciate that they... Uh, we asked them if, if we could join and they were very gracious and thought that we were a good fit for, for their place. Um, so it's, they it described as the, I just want to get this quote straight from them. Cause I think it's a great quote to describe the community, um, an independent media network and a progressive community of progressive communities. Um, got a discord. We'll have that all in our show notes. If you want to check that out, um, we've got a little channel in there and it's it had some great conversations with folk over there. And I think that's oh everything for us at Goblin Lore. Reinhardt, do you want have anything you want to pitch? And no, I you know um no, I'm just really happy to to always talk with you, Alex, and and be on the podcast. And you know I'm I uh, love storytelling. I love writing and and seeing what happens. And I'm I'm super excited to see what happens in the coming year. I mean like. You know, seeing the the, <laughs> the announcement, I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. So, and that's our show for today. You can find the host on Twitter. Hotsku can be found at Hotsku, and Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter, or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmoke. The cast can be found at patreon.com slash goblinworldpod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten or online at vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you all for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>